Welcome into the Esports Network Podcast. We talk about anything and everything esports related. Talking about things going on in the industry from business moves to the games, the players that play them, and everything in between. It's a whole big smorgasbord of what's going on within the industry. And here to kind of uh, help guide me through what he's been doing, as well as how his company's been doing. And I know his, his general career trajectory has been amazing for the past, what, 18-ish, 19-ish years? Let's welcome in uh, Mike Sepso, the co-founder CEO of Vindex. Mike, thank you for hopping on taking some time out of your busy, busy week, I'm sure, to kind of come on and explain what's going on with your guys and, and, and everything happening with Vindex and, and all the little properties you guys have under your Vindex umbrella. Thanks, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. So for whatever, for whatever reason, you're living under a rock. Mike, esports uh, pioneer, to say the least, right? You've been the co-founder of MLG Gaming. Uh, you, you're previously on the show this past year with, with our, our prior host. Uh, so we're not going to go through your entire you know Wikipedia page of, of stuff that you've been going on through. So uh, for the most part, you launched Vindex in 2019 after yeah. a long career. And you're kind of just an esports uh, industry platform, if you will. So you guys have Belong Gaming Arenas. You guys have esports engine and you guys have an intelligence platform. Let's play, I believe it's called. So you guys have a lot to to, to handle right now. Yeah, we do. We have a lot going on. Um, Obviously, I think more people are probably familiar with esports engine and kind of all the work that we do um, primarily primarily with publishers on, you know, helping to build and operate their and broadcast um, their professional esports leagues. But um, there's a lot going on there. And I think as things are starting to reopen, Obviously, we're about to have the um, the Halo Major in Raleigh coming mm-hmm. up in a, in a few weeks. Um, so that'll be great to get back to events. And it's nice to bring all the old school crew back together for a, for a Halo tournament. Oh, man. Um, That's kind of crazy. See Halo 20 years after after MLG yeah. launch and all that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's interesting. Um, I, I recently, I think it was last week or the week before on the Halo 2 anniversary date, posted a photo I found of Sundance and me standing outside the Times Square Toys R Us for the Halo 2 launch party, which was 17 oh. years ago, I guess. No, I mean, uh, not dating yourself there, right? <laughs> yeah. I looked a lot better then. Uh, <laughs> you still you still look good now. Don't don't sell yourself short there. All right. You, you still look pretty good. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up that kind of going back into the, the, the yeah. physical space in a post pandemic era, because uh, I know I, I went to one of uh, Belong Gaming Arenas, which is, you know, mm-hmm. under your umbrella. And and I'm surprised that people are, are not, I'm not really surprised. I'm happy to see people are enjoying a physical space to game in. I mean, yeah. how important is it for a community or for an individual to have a physical space to go to where they can compete, where they can, you know, play games with others or just watch esports sometimes? Like how, how important is that space uh, for from you, I, I guess? Look, I think it's always been critical. I think anybody that's, um, you know, a competitive gamer realizes, you know, you can, you can do your best from home. Um, but it's hard to play, you know, first of all, it's just with the technical limitations of paying and, and, you know, lagging and all that kind of stuff. It's hard to play competitively purely in an online environment. Obviously you can do it for fun and practice, but when you're real, when it really means it, you know, you want to be on the land. But I think more importantly that most people started to find out, um, if they didn't already know it during the pandemic was it's really hard to build good team rapport if you're not standing, you know, sitting next to your teammates. So beyond just the physical parts of it, it's it's also, you know, really building community. And I mean that it's at the team level, but also the sort of like real world level. And I think coming out of the pandemic, that's one of the things we're definitely seeing is we always knew 
Belong would do very well. It, it had a really good history of development in the UK. Um, you know, there's, there's nearly 30 locations in the UK open, but uh, really felt like after the pandemic with everybody being locked down for a year and a half, you could really sense the, um, you know, just sort of getting back to life and having people be in the room together. So, and, and that's a good, you know, I, I was talking about esports engine with your last question. Mm-hmm. Belong is kind of the second part of the, bigger platform story for Vindex and is more the consumer facing side. Right. So with esports engine, we work with the big publishers and um, the content platform to kind of create the leagues and the competitions and the broadcasts. And it's not all pure esports. A lot of it's more interesting. You know, we, we did a lot of Olympics coverage this summer with Twitch and have some, does some really interesting stuff there. So I think it's more about how do you brought, you know, how do you take a gaming sensibility to broadcasting, whatever it is you're broadcasting, meaning, you know, most of us are not satisfied just sort of passively watching a screen. We want some level of interaction. And as it relates to esports, obviously that's our core. So hopefully we get that right all the time as far as the fans are concerned. On the belong side, it was really like, look, we spent a long time creating, you know, effectively the Jordans and LeBrons of the world and, and the Monday Night Footballs and Super Bowls. How do we make sure that this lives on and a big part of the inspiration came a long long time ago when we were doing the mlg pro circuit and like moving from city to city and you know sundance and i used to say wouldn't it be great if we could kind of leave this here every time we have a stop at city it wouldn't be great to just leave it because it's so cool everybody comes into the room and you finally you know people from these places like dallas where i know you're from you know you'd roll up with the whole mlg tent and run the (laughs) carnival for a weekend and then move on what happens after that? Well, the idea was, you know, what we should be thinking about is belong happens after that. And belong mm-hmm. is 365 days a year, right? So you have a place that you can go to with people that live around you that are also gamers and kind of build teams and, and compete against inside the network. And so I, that's part of the thing that people probably don't really get yet about belong because it's so big in the UK and not so big here in the US. But the concept is we're going to open a lot of these because it kind of works like its own amateur league system. Each location is a team, mm-hmm. regardless of the game you play on and you're playing against the other location. So the two that we have open now, one in Grapevine, Texas, near you, Kevin, and the other in Pearland near Houston, um, those are going to have squads. So it's the Pearland archers and the Grapevine guards, and they're going to play against each other. And mm-hmm. as we open more locations, the idea is it kind of becomes like little league or pop Warner football for, for esports, but also, you know, they're just awesome centers. And it's, I was there this weekend, um, happened to be able to buy a PS five was just really nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause they're not all that available. So we do have some in the, in the locations. Um, but the bigger thing is, you know, there are, uh, 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 HP Omen PCs and PlayStation 5s and Xboxes that you can just go, you know, Xbox Series X and you can just go in and play. Um, and you can play at the very top level. And that was the whole idea too, is I think back to the MLG days, one of the reasons we wanted to sort of leave it there is not just because it was this great community of people, but it was also for a lot of people, the first time they got to play on kind of pro level equipment in that type mm-hmm. of environment. And so that, that was part of the magic with Belong, too. It's whether you're in the UK or here in any of the locations in the US, you know, the desk, the chair, the equipment, the keyboard, the mice, you can bring your own, obviously, but they're there, the headset, like everything is pro level. It's the same equipment you would have on a main stage. And that's the experience we want to start bringing people. Um, 
and also just a place that you can go and talk to other gamers. Like you don't have to be sitting there paying us every hour. There's lounges and areas to hang out and, you know, you can kind of talk to gamers and our staff who are amazingly knowledgeable and they're all gamers themselves. So they know what's going on. And the idea is how do we kind of create local connectivity with the high schools and colleges and stuff in town and just people that live there. And um, I saw it play out in the UK before we did the acquisition. I was just talking with, um, a small group of guys that were hanging out at the Stratford location. Stratford's kind of neighborhood in London. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, it was, it was uh, six of them and they were there to play overwatch. And I just assumed, I guess that they kind of were an overwatch team before, and they were just using belong as a practice facility. As it turns out, they all grew up within a couple of miles of each other, all go to the same university oh, wow. and didn't know each other. And they actually <laughs> met in the belong and then created a team and they happened that location is now one of the top overwatch league teams in the whole amateur environment inside of belong so it was really cool um and i hope that that happens you know many many thousands of times over and over again with people but um you know so this is just another step in the career sundance and i are building of things we wish we had when we were kids (laughs) i mean that's a pretty good thing to have you just have a little you know the our version of an arcade today would be would be belong gaming pretty much you know back then you just had the arcade boxes and now it's just the pc kind of uh right in front of you with the xbox and the the ps5 and it's just like i I was very impressed you guys had 30 30 60s all over the place i was like i'd never seen one before in in real life (laughs) so i was i was very impressed when i went to the grapevine location and so yeah uh so i'm curious you mentioned like in the uk they have you know 30 of these things open already and it's a different kind of culture over there the kind of uh they kind of go out and enjoy the, the gaming in a much different way than the u.s does u.s has a lot of um what we what i have to call latchkey kids where you know kids would they'd come home from school and they'd pretty much stay home they'd game at home and so uh, what i mean what has has there been any kind of challenge in rolling out more of these belong gaming facilities in the states for you guys or has it just been a relatively smooth rollout for belong itself yeah, yeah for belong um no i would say it's been anything but smooth because of the <laughs> pandemic right um pandemic yeah, aside <laughs> yeah so pandemic aside um yeah it's been pretty smooth mostly because you know so the belong was created inside of game mm-hmm. which is the biggest video game retailer in europe mm-hmm. um it's not Everyone here is familiar with GameStop. In the UK and Spain, they have a chain of stores called Game, very similar to GameStop. Um, but they're in Europe, they're bigger than GameStop. So the uh, gentleman who was the longtime CEO of that company, Martin Gibbs, uh, he and I have been friends through the industry for several years. And um, he invited me over to take a look at it um, just as I was leaving Activision. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, 2018 and I was like, Martin, this is amazing, but you've kind of unlocked what I've been obsessed with for, for almost 20 years, which is what's the, um, South Korean PC bang version that will work in the U S and, you know, North America and Europe basically, and then spread throughout other areas of the world where the value proposition of what the gamer wants is probably different. It's maybe not just the high end machine, but it's like more community and programming driven. And by programming, I mean, not just a bunch of independent locations, but the whole idea behind the team brand and the location based thing and, you know, kind of creating communities and, and then the programming being, how do you connect it to the, pro esports world in a way where it, it makes sense. Um, 
And so they had really kind of figured it out. And luckily in the acquisition, not only do we acquire the business from game, but we got Martin and keep key execs on his team. Um, and so that continuity of having the team that really developed this whole concept and perfected it over several years in the UK, being the leadership group that really started it here in the US, that's made it a, a ton easier. The other part was, you know, we're connecting it through with Vindex and esports engine. So mm-hmm. through esports engine, you're operating a lot of the pro leagues. You have deep connectivity into understanding what the publishers are doing at the pro league level. Obviously, we also have lots of team relationships. So we've been able to work with our publisher partners, with the teams, and really create something that I think will be uniquely different than anything anybody's seen before. And so it's a it's a mix of kind of <clears throat> taking all the things that worked over the past four or five years in the UK building that here and then kind of increasing the level, just sort of leveling that up with the connectivity. But the great part is it'll work everywhere. And so mm-hmm. when you go into a blong, whether it's in Grapevine or Pearland here or somewhere in the UK, you know, you'll log into the same system um, on the PCs. You're playing through the same system. It's helping you find people to play with. It's kind of helping you find new opportunities to play competitively. Um, hopefully eventually introducing you to new games. Um, and eventually, you know, the vision is we'll help you kind of build your gaming profile through Belong, through if you if you participate in any tournaments or leagues that Esports Engine is operating and kind of help build a better picture for you as a gamer of who you are and how to get better and how to meet other people that play with. I mean, that's, that's so interesting. You guys are pretty much at that confluence point of where, you know, you guys have the tournament know-how and now you have these facilities where you can have these amateur circuits be ran. And so why do you think nobody's ever done something like this before? Is it just the lack of opportunity, lack of resources that kind of that you guys have at your disposal that nobody else does? Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, I think, look, part of it is timing, right? Mm-hmm. I think now is the right time to be doing this. Um, but yeah, look, people have tried different elements of this before, and there are, um, even today, there's some companies trying to do different parts of it. I think, you know, one of the things I learned from being at MLG, but then um, inside of Activision Blizzard and kind of helping build, you know, what became the Overwatch League and CDL and, or CW, sorry, Call of Duty <laughs> League, to get my acronym. I've been along that, been around that long that they've all changed acronyms several yeah. times. But um, no, part of it was, is just seeing how important I think sometimes um, we as gamers forget kind of how big the industry is behind video games and how big the companies are behind video games. And really many of them have to be that big, you know, to be as, to be able to crank out games like this and things like that. Um, but it was interesting for me being inside of Activision, just realizing how hard it is to work with kind of, smaller companies that don't have the resources to kind of do, you know, not that they're doing anything wrong or even that they don't have great ideas. They just don't have the resources or vision to do something at, at a big enough scale mm-hmm. to have it be, you know, a thing that you can focus on. And so, you know, kind of being the first um, executive or senior executive inside of Activision Blizzard to take on building out the design of this esports and kind of media part of the company that became really evident to me quickly too. It was like, there's these great companies that have 10 or 20 people and we just can't work with them. They're just too small and we'll get run over by the, you know, the big company kind of way of doing things. So it's always difficult. And I'm not saying that that's as black and white as, as, as maybe I'm describing it, but the reality is um, that was a big part of our strategy behind Vindex was we want to be able to work with Activision and EA and Microsoft and Sony and kind of all of the biggest players. And in order to do that, 
we're going to have to be big too. Otherwise, it just they can only spend so much time. You know, they have big things to do, and so that's kind of how we've approached this from day one, right? Esports engine. We started big, and we've more than doubled the size of that business really quickly. Uh, more than almost tripled the number of people. Um, we've expanded internationally. We've done a lot to kind of grow that. We're taking the same approach with Belong, which was, you know, we didn't want to open one or two centers and then figure out how they work and then go from there. We wanted to buy a formula that worked and just needed to be tweaked and invested in and then scale it really fast. And so, again, I, I mentioned it was pandemic related, but, you know, everybody today is having trouble with physical goods, right? The yeah. supply chain issues and all these things you read about in the news. That's that's the only kind of limitation that we have right now with Belong. So it's just a little bit slower at the at the startup, but it'll get there quick. No, for sure. But like, like you mentioned, it's it's based also on on timing. You guys are right at the tail end of the the pandemic. We're moving into a more post pandemic era, and so you guys are literally right there and in the right spot. And hopefully, the the rollout continues uh, smoother than it has been for the last few months, and so we can see yeah. you guys extend that growth. And so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about esports engine because that's kind of like the big you know tournament and broadcast uh arm of, of index if you will and so i i know the pandemic kind of affected every way everybody's kind of uh thought process if you will when it comes to how you broadcast it kind of changed a few things but i mean how what have you seen in terms of, of growth for broadcasters out there i know you guys like you said you mentioned that uh esports engine had, had doubled their their size of the past few years but this past year in terms of broadcast have you guys had any increase in competition from other companies coming in to kind of take over a little bit or has it just been like we're, we're, we're kind of uh, highlighting our, 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 our spot in the marketplace and that esports engine is going to be or it still is the go-to place for a lot of these tournaments to, to go to yeah look I, like I said I think our, you know our model is really working very closely with um, big publishers on their biggest franchise league operations and competitive design and um, you know, I think also the thing to understand is from a technology and, and infrastructure point of view, on the esports engine side, that's where our resources and and size matter, mm-hmm. right? We have enormous broadcast studios in Burbank, California, specifically built for live streaming of gaming content, right? Mm-hmm. We have not just control rooms, but we have observer rooms and we have a whole technical architecture that allows us to do that in a meaningfully scalable way. We have the same thing in Columbus, Ohio. And actually, we just tripled the size of the studio space there. Um, we'll be announcing a really big expansion into a different part of the world, um, you know, hopefully before the end of the year as well. And all of that is is based on, you know, all of our senior team people having 15 to 20 years of experience in this space and having the resources and scale to be able to invest in the technology to, to broadcast efficiently. The second part of it is, and this really was um, driven by COVID is we had always had a lot of kind of cloud-based operations for broadcasting because we have, you know, we're on site at Arthur Ashe stadium or wherever we're going next, right. Or in Raleigh, we're going to have to tap into some, um, kind of scalable network infrastructure to be able to broadcast from locations. And we always had a great capability from our studios, but then COVID happened and you had to do a mix of both with nobody in the same room together. Mm. So really quickly, we had to take what we had, kind of move it all to the cloud and then rework all the workflows and things like that. Like 
how do you slap graphics on something when nobody's in the same room to tell you what to put where? Or if you have somebody about to come on camera for a post-game interview and you don't have a green room or you know somebody that can talk to them, how do you just tell them what's going to happen and test their audio? And we had to rework everything. And what we did during the pandemic was really focus heavily on how do we invest our time and attention on building out those software platforms? Because we never thought they would go away. They're always going to be viable. So, you know, for instance, if you signed up, um, you know, for the HGS um, tournament in Raleigh, you may not realize it, but you, you know, just tapped into this gigantic cloud software mm-hmm. structure that we built during the pandemic um, that is going to help us operate. It'll help us be kind of the back end source for all future, I think online tournament management or in the room tournament management, mm-hmm. right? The, the, it, again, it was one of those things where we were building some software to help us with live event management. And it turns out that that's a lot more scalable because of the way we built it and the amount of um, time and attention we can spend on things like engineering before you need it. And I think that's a major difference in size and scale and sort of resources is we can invest in building things years ahead of when we're going to need them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a 20-year career gives you a little bit of capability to say, it's okay. We, we know where this is going. We can spend the next two years building something and testing it with our bigger customers or beta testing it along the way. But, you know, kind of like game development cycles, it takes years to build something great and big. If you have a big vision for what you want it to be, um, that's how you can kind of get there. And so we've been able to do that during the pandemic, which is going to make scaling and being more global easy for uh, easier for us um but we've had to do kind of all of it Mm -hmm. and um hopefully over the next couple of years everybody will be able to um, get the benefits from that as well for sure i mean you know kind of developing an entire infrastructure from scratch almost is is difficult and you guys have done it extremely well and and i'm sure we'll see the uh we have seen that product already and 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 this past year from a a bunch of events i'm sure the hcs kickoff in uh probably will be fun to watch as well so i mean i'm not gonna miss that anytime soon it's halo you know (laughs) so i mean i saw now i gotta ask because we have we recently had on somebody from uh this consulting uh, firm and they mentioned that meteorites were going to be a big big factor to uh, play into the future of esports coming up soon and so i'm i'm curious have you kind of been watching how certain uh, you know sports and esports have been you know divulging and divesting their their media rights uh, you know to other companies i know like espn signed a deal with nfl a few months ago uh, you know for for their thursday night monday night football games so they're they have have that pretty much cornered but in terms of media rights you know you, you work close with publishers how is that working along your side of things for now yeah. So look, I, I think that, well, I don't, I'm not sure what consulting group you, t- you spoke to, but all the way back mm-hmm. to, you know, my career at Activision Blizzard, I think was the first time a very significant media rights deal was done mm-hmm. um, when we launched the Overwatch League and we did a yes. multi-year deal with Twitch. Right. And I can't comment as to numbers, yeah. <laughs> um, but the company can report whatever they want. Um, you know, and again, that, that deal at the time, the head of con- global content, um, and media was Marshall Zelaznik, mm-hmm. um, who had actually come from being the chief content officer at the UFC. So he did that deal. He's also the guy that, that built UFC um, Stream Pass, and you yeah. know he's big guy in the sports media world. He's actually uh, he and Adam run Esports Engine now. So Marshall's the CEO. Adam Adam Appel is the president. Um, so he's part of the Vindex team. Um, obviously, we we have a depth of understanding of media rights. You mentioned um, the NFL and and ESPN. 
um, Steve Bornstein, who was the CEO of ESPN and then launched the NFL Network, is on our board. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, you know, again, was was part of the team that helped me launch um, as the chairman of the division when I was first hired, uh, all of the things that, are hap- that were happening at Activision Blizzard. So I think we have the kind of best minds in the business on our side. What what we are not sure of, and I'm frankly not sure of, is what will be the predominant revenue stream for esports content. But I think it also you have to keep in mind that there is an in there is a huge revenue stream, which is in-game purchases mm-hmm. in esports that doesn't exist in traditional sports. Right. You also have to understand that the market and the audience for traditional sports is very mature and pretty easy to predict. And there's a lot more data available on that audience and those um, audience sizes for advertisers. So it's a little bit different and we're moving into kind of different worlds. But the important thing is publishers all have different points of view on kind of how esports should be monetized. Mm-hmm. Some think it's really just helping to drive you know, more visibility into the game and therefore more in-game revenue. Some like Activision are more all about the media rights and sponsorships and having it kind of be a standalone business. I don't think there's any right answer. There's a right answer for what you want the goal to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we try to help our publisher partners figure out is what's the right model for you, for your game, for your team, for your ambitions, for esports. I think what we try to do at the end of the day across the whole Vindex platform is this industry, and this is a really important stat, five years ago, 80% of the revenue generated by video games is generated on the point of sale, meaning you go and buy Call of Duty or Madden or FIFA or whatever it is, you pay $65 for it, and that's sort of the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Today, over 80% of revenue is driven by in-game sales. Mm-hmm. So it's completely flipped upside down, right? It's not about the initial purchase or the release weekend anymore. It's all about how do I keep players engaged? And I think what the big publishers even are feeling, and you saw Halo MP was free to play, I think, or Warzone in the case of Call of Duty, right? You're seeing these things happen for these monster franchises that you wouldn't have even imagined just a few years ago, moving to free to play. And that's clearly where the industry's going. We don't know how fast or how soon for the premium AAA tier, but it's happening and it already happened in the rest of the industry. So whether it's mobile or casual or most PC games, like a lot of it has moved already to free to play. And that requires that publishers figure out ways to drive engagement into their games and create kind of social context for why people would want to continue to buy cosmetic items and things like that in the game. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build that infrastructure for the future so that the experiences for gamers are great and they're they're able to create local communities and not have to just live in the metaverse, but they can kind of live in the real world too, but also connectivity so that they're connected to lots of other gamers in the metaverse or through that metaverse. <laughs> and then on the, the partner side that even for the big guys, we're, we're hopefully creating a more predictable pattern for how you should create content and esports and other types of ecosystems that keeps keep people engaged in your game franchise, right? So mm-hmm. we're never going to be the ones that can tell them how to make the game better necessarily. That's really the publishers and studios jobs. What we want to do is kind of, you know, I see it as like 10 years ago was TV commercials and IGN ads that kind of got people excited about buying a game. But, but I think all of us felt a little bit let down maybe a month after we had the game and we're mm-hmm. kind of like done with it. Like, where's the new thing? Why are we doing this? That was part of the excitement that we thought we created with MLG was keeping people playing the same game or at least the same franchise for a long time. When we get into the next realm, it's going to be all about 
how do we really make sure that the esports ecosystem is created in a way that not only creates aspiration in sort of like a moment in time, but it creates a reason to keep playing that game. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of tightly aligned with how the studio is developing the game and tightly aligned with how we're creating amateur and kind of casual competitive systems through Belong. And then eventually how we can kind of measure all that and make it more predictable and actionable for publishers. So hopefully what we're doing is creating a platform that big publishers can plug into that adapts them more to what gamers want, Mm. right? Because if you're not successful at all of those things, gamers are going to be move on to the next game. No, for sure. You mentioned like uh, 80% is now kind of like back in sales where like the initial cost is super low and everything else is through cosmetics or, you know, battle passes, whatever it is. And so it's funny because I think I've read a stat somewhere that those revenues had increased like tenfold over the past five years. So it's it's really insane to see the industry kind of flip its head over the course of, you know, a short, a relatively short amount of time. So I can definitely see that becoming kind of the the way we continue into the 2020s uh, for, for the the growth of this industry and so you know speaking of the growth of this industry i'm i'm wondering like what other sectors is vindex kind of focusing on what other kind of industries or companies are you paying attention to or i mean just in general what what trends are you guys looking at to kind of guide yourselves towards success if you will well i think look one of the interesting things is i spent most of my career so far trying to learn from traditional sports and then bring a lot of that stylistic stuff and even business models into esports And I think I'm starting to feel for the first time the opposite happening, which is traditional sports broadcasters and media platforms trying to learn from what we do, right? Trying to learn, you know, I've been saying for a long time, look, we are, you know, Twitch in particular, but also YouTube and what I've been doing my whole career and kind of what esports and gaming is doing is training a whole new generation of consumers that a, you know, passive video stream is not enough. It's no. not going to keep anyone's attention. It <laughs> doesn't matter if it's live or not. You know, I already find I've, I've trained myself in that way too. Right. I can't watch a whole foot. Like I'm a, you appreciate this cause I'm a New Yorker, but I'm actually a Cowboys fan. Oh goodness. No, <laughs> Mike, please. You're, you're crucifying yourself right here. <laughs> no, I know. Sorry. Dude. I'm a Yankees and the Knicks fan. So oh, I get okay, one. That's fine. Um, but you know, trying to watch the game last night and it was miserable cause they were losing, but, um, I can't watch a football game. I can't Mm -hmm. without like at least having my phone and doing 12 other things. Right. So, and then I started watching a Apple TV show with my girlfriend and I had the game on the side. And then I was looking at Twitch also, you know, I was like, there's, you're on two or three screens all the time. And part of the reason is because I could be pretty completely um, have all of my attention on a broadcast on, on Twitch or YouTube gaming, because there's a lot of stuff going on and I could be in the chat or whatever. And I'm, you know, maybe looking at Twitter at the same time, but it's kind of all engrossing. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's happening is the traditional sports world is trying to learn how, what's the new broadcast model for live, because it's not just video. A lot of other stuff has to happen. Part of that story is data, right? Mm -hmm. How do we use other kinds of data to kind of enrich the whole experience? But part of it is third, third party platforms or third training platforms. So I think that's one big thing that we look at a lot, which is if we start to get comfortable with the concept that long-term traditional broadcast is going to move into our world, then we should be looking at doing more of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the same thing, um, it's the same thing, not just for broadcast, but also for things like competition. The esports engine group, I think they're the best competition designers in the world. We've built software now that sits in the cloud that does all this stuff. And they're continuing to add to that, 
knowledge base every day, but they've already started to redesign competitive formats for non-gaming properties. Um, so I think that's starting to get pretty interesting. And I think if you think about what Belong is, you know, if, if you could gather the kind of most influential gamers in any local community into a physical place and help them create more robust communities there, that's going to be a very powerful platform for a lot of things in the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think all those things sort of come together to mean something big. And on top of it, you know, gaming is growing fast all in the whole industry will be close to $200 billion in revenue this year. And that's more than double the size of all of social media together. Right. So you always wow. hear about like how big it is compared to move it music or the movies is it, it left those industries in the dust a long time ago. It's double the size of social media. $200 billion. Dollars. That's insane. Yes. <laughs> what of the industry makes $200 billion and, and nobody blinks an eye, right? It's just, it's yeah. absolutely insane. But I'm, I'm, it's funny you mentioned the, the Cowboys. I mean, anemic offense aside, nine and 19, whatever. <laughs> uh, Jerry Jones is, is an excellent marketer for that team. And I'm sure that kind of yeah. continues on to how you kind of relate to publishers. And really, it's kind of like a, how do, how do you best want to market the event or how do you best want to market this game and, and kind of bring in another revenue stream for that publisher. And so uh, it's interesting. You brought up the, the, the non-gaming things that esports engine is working on as well. It's, that's interesting that it's becoming bigger than the industry started. And so I'm, you know, that's something that I'll, I'll have to keep an eye on looking forward uh, for other broadcasts, you know, let's say at the bottom right hand corner, you know, powered by esports engine or something like that. That'd be really, yeah. really cool to see. So best of luck with that. Uh, and of course, best of luck with the rollout with the uh, belong gaming. Uh, Mike, this has been like such a, a wonderful talk. I, I want to have you back on another year or two. And hopefully you guys are like powering the NFL uh, streams coming on Twitch or something. And then we'll see how that works out. Right. So Mike, Thank you again for coming Absolutely. on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Kevin. He's Mike Sepso, co-founder and CEO of Vindex. And I'm Kevin Correa right here on the Esports Network Podcast. Yeah.